This is Certified, the OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS exam. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to continue with our low back uh, and lumbar spine series. What we're going to really focus on today is the movement coordination impairment subcategory. So just like some of the other subcategories, this is going to be broken down into the acute, subacute, and chronic um, subcategories. The presentation that you're going to see for the acute patients is going to be pain occurring at the initial to mid-ranges of active or passive motion. And with level two evidence, patients may also present with an acute exacerbation of recurring low back pain that's commonly associated with referred lower extremity pain, symptom onset with provocation of the involved lumbar segment, observed movement coordination impairments during lumbar flexion and extension. So what they really mean with that last part is that there's um, impaired or poor curve reversal when you're observing their movement. You may see a little bit of aberrant movement with that. It's important to note that acute patients in this category are likely not going to seek care. They often, it becomes very episodic. It goes away in a few days. So when they're really acute, you probably won't see too many in this category in the clinic, but just something to be aware of relative to the subacute and chronic subgroups. That subacute presentation is going to, you're going to be looking more for pain occurring with the mid to end ranges of active or passive motions. So that's kind of your big difference between the acute phase is that the initial to mid ranges in the acute and the mid to end ranges with the subacute. Also, level two evidence suggests patients are going to present with that subacute exacerbation of low back pain that could be, again, associated with that referred lower extremity pain. They're also going to have symptom onset with the provocation of the involved lumbar segment. You're probably going to see a little bit more lumbar segmental hypermobility in these folks, mostly because they've been dealing with it a little bit longer. But it's also important to look for mobility deficits, primarily hypomobility of the thoracic spine, those pelvic and hip regions. So sometimes when something like this is going on for a little bit longer, you're going to develop hypomobilities around the site of hypermobility. In these subacute folks, you're also going to see decreased trunk inner pelvic strength and muscle endurance. And again, you're going to see those poor movement patterns or those aberrant movement patterns, primarily with bending tasks during the self-care and home management activities that they're doing on a daily basis. When we talk about the chronic low back pain patients with these movement coordination impairments, you're really going to see pain that's occurring with sustained end range movements or prolonged positioning in those end ranges. Level two evidence suggests that patients are again going to present with that chronic reoccurring low back pain that could be associated with that referred lower extremity pain. You're going to see the presence of one or more of the following. They're going to have low back or lower extremity pain that worsens with sustained end range movements or positions, a lumbar hypermobility with segmental motion assessment. You're going to see mobility deficits, primarily hypomobility of the thoracic and lumbopelvic hip regions. You're going to see diminished trunk or pelvic muscle strength and endurance. And again, those poor movement patterns. But in this group, you're probably going to see it carry more over beyond just their daily tasks, but into more of those community work-related or occupational demands. It's going to affect them more throughout the day with more positions and activities. Imaging in these folks is there's um, a little bit unclear. There's no concrete recommendations 
for or against imaging. And really, um, it's recommended that you defer your judgment on this if you're going to have imaging or contact a physician about imaging in this population, that you link it to your red flag screening. So that's something we talked about. Um, we have a fun with flags episode, and we've talked about it a little bit in the lumbar intro episode. But those red flags are really what you need to link your imaging judgments to in this population. Any imaging that has been done research-wise and diagnostically in this population has been done specifically to assess lumbar musculature. So imaging studies have found atrophy through the multifidi musculature in patients with acute low back pain. And when they look at functional MRIs, those studies are going to indicate differences in usage and signal intensity of the lumbar muscles in patients with movement coordination impairments. Some studies have also assessed muscle composition with findings indicating that severe fat infiltrations can be associated with a history of low back pain. So sometimes when they look at these imagings, they're able to assess how much fat infiltrates in the muscle tissue. And when they correlate that to the clinical presentation, um, they're often seeing that in patients that have had back pain. Those findings can also be correlated to those decreased functional capacities in older adults with back pain. So again, as we age, we lose muscle mass, you know, tissue quality changes, they're likely going to be even more prone to something like that. So when we see these patients, your exam should include lumbar active range of motion, you know, standing, laying down, probably both, a segmental mobility assessment and prone um, posterior anterior provocation testing. So I, you know, I think it's up to you. If a patient can't go prone, I think sideline is perfectly fine. Um, but research-wise, they're recommending prone. You're going to want to check the prone instability test. You're going to want to observe for the aberrant movements. And then you're going to want to assess their trunk muscle power and endurance. So a couple of these specifically that I really want to touch on, the prone instability test. In this test, the patient's going to lie prone with their upper body supported on the end of the examination table. Their legs, you know, kind of at their hip, is going to be over the edge with their feet on the floor. The PT is going to provide a PA pressure to the spinous process of the lower lumbar spine, noting if there's any pain provocation. The patient is then going to lift both of their legs off of the floor and the PA pressure is repeated, noting if pain is, um, again, produced. A positive test for the prone instability test is going to be noted if pain is present in the resting position but subsides when the legs are lifted from the floor. So this is essentially positive for what we would call functional instability or that movement coordination impairments. So if someone's having a little bit of referred leg pain and you're not sure if they're kind of falling into that referred pain category, which we'll get to in our next episode, or if they're kind of in this functional instability category, this is a good test to use, um, you know, especially if you're not getting any clear results with any kind of repeated movements. Um, this is a good one to go to. It's a difficult test for some patients. But a lot of these patients that you're going to see with the movement coordination impairments are going to be younger. So most of them are able to do this, at least to some extent, to give you an idea. Also in your examination, the aberrant movements that you really want to be looking for are painful arc into or out of flexion, any kind of catching complaints of catching mechanisms, a gower sign, which is using the hands on the thighs to assist in returning to standing after the patient has bent forward, and any kind of reversal of the lumbopelvic rhythm. Um, the other thing they recommend testing is trunk muscle power and endurance. I will say that there's a lot of different ways to test this. You're going to see different things published in different places. Um, so I'm not going to go through every single way to test these here in this episode, but it's something to be aware of. You know, 
the clinical practice guideline outlines it nicely, um, probably a very common way. But if you're not um, familiar with that, I'd check there. Or, you know, an ortho exam and evaluation textbook would be a fine resource too. So just be aware of how exactly is the best way to be testing trunk endurance. In the movement coordination impairment category, level A evidence is going to recommend the use of trunk coordination, strengthening, and endurance exercises in patients with subacute and chronic low back pain with these movement coordination impairments. When it's referenced in the literature, what they're talking about with these interventions, you're going to see them listed as motor control exercises, transverse abdominus training, lumbar multifidus training, and any kind of dynamic lumbar stabilization exercises. So just know that those are all kind of grouped into that movement coordination category. A Cochrane review revealed that exercise therapy was as effective as other conservative measures for decreasing pain in the acute and chronic populations, and graded activity approaches improved absenteeism in the subacute population. So a proposed clinical rule to classify patients into, the into this particular subgroup of low back pain, you want to be looking for age less than 40, a positive prone instability test that we just went over, presence of aberrant movement with your motion testing, a straight leg raise greater than 91 degrees. Um, I think that's an important one. A lot of times these patients think they have a flexibility issue and really they'll say, but I feel like I'm flexible, but I feel like I just need to keep stretching. I feel like I need to keep moving. And that's just because they don't tolerate those end range positions because of the muscle imbalance and the muscle dysfunction. So they will tell you, you know, I can bring my leg over my head and that's where you're going to see that straight leg raise greater than 91 degrees. And then you also want to be, um, note that a positive finding is considered with three positive findings of those four. That's going to be a likelihood ratio of four, which is pretty good um, in terms of positive likelihood ratios. So again, if you're seeing three out of those four, you can be pretty confident that they're somewhere in that spectrum of movement coordination impairment. For all the subgroups in this category, neuromuscular reeducation is used to provide stability in less symptomatic positions during daily functional activities. So what that means is helping the patient find what positions um, and the duration they can tolerate those positions that decreases their symptoms and then working within what they can tolerate um, during their daily functional activities. For the subacute and chronic um, patients, you want to be considering manual therapy to address the hypomobilities through their thoracic spine or their hips and pelvis. Um, so I think that's an important area that sometimes gets overlooked, but it's something to keep in mind um, with treatment. For the acute subgroup of patients, you want to um, there's fair evidence to suggest the temporary use of external devices, meaning like bracing, um, to provide passive restraint in those mid-ranges that are generally less symptomatic to decrease their symptoms, those acute symptoms. Um, you know, I can't say I personally use those a lot in the clinic, but, you know, the research is out there. And I'd say if someone's particularly symptomatic, it may help them find that mid-range a little bit more. If you can live in that range a little bit for a week or two and help get their symptoms under control, they'll probably tolerate some of those higher um, evidence-based exercises with a little bit more ease. A systematic review um, by Macedo et al. suggested that motor control exercises are superior to minimal interventions. However, they may need to be combined with another therapy for pain to maximize the effectiveness. So that's kind of what I was just talking about. Sometimes these acute pain, uh, the acute subgroup of patients, they're just in too much pain to tolerate some of that stability work, um, you know, and it, they just can't seem to get over that. So 
realizing that pain may be the barrier in some cases could be helpful to get over that hump for exercise progression. And again, with all subgroups, and this is kind of across all low back pain patients, you really want to be focusing on that patient education. You want to decrease the emphasis on the pathoanatomic explanations, promote their return to normal activities, you know, whether that be day-to-day things, work, occupational related things. You want to reference the overall favorable prognosis for low back pain. You want to educate, especially in this population, on activity pacing, dosing. You know, sometimes as they start to feel better, they try to do too much again, and then they end up right back where they were. Um, Again, goal setting, helping them goal set, pace, dose activity. And then working on maintenance strategies. You know, these, um, the patients with movement coordination impairments generally really need to work on maintaining any improvement that they gain so that they don't end up back here or back in that spot again. So that's kind of the quick and um, quick and brief summary of the movement coordination impairments. I think the key take-homes here are just to be making sure you're identifying the differences in presentation for those acute, subacute, and chronic phases. Again, you're really looking for where within the range of motion does the pain occur. Again, no strong um, indications for imaging. And then for the exam, just making sure you're familiar with those couple tests in terms of aberrant movements and prone instability testing um, to identify who would best fit that clinical prediction rule. And then your level A evidence with this group is really going to be those trunk coordination, strengthening, and endurance exercises. So that really sums up that category. The next category that we're going to go through is definitely longer and a little bit more hefty, we'll say. It's, we're going to talk about referred pain, radiating pain, and what role the intervertebral disc has in that population of patients. So again, if there's any questions, um, please feel free to send us an email. We're happy to get back to you regarding any of this information. Alexis, did you have anything else you wanted to add on movement coordination impairments? No, I think um, I think this category is really straightforward. I think you did a great job summarizing it. So um, as Amanda said, just send us any questions if anything comes up. Um, and then also remember that we do have the, the Patreon page as well. So make sure that you check that out and we'll uh, be posting some stuff there for people who are Patreon members. Take care. All right. Thanks. Thanks.